You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he, had, uh, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Good morning. Thanks for joining us uh, this Sunday for home worship. And it's been so encouraging to hear the different stories of of, of many people inviting uh, friends and others into their home uh, to enjoy Sunday worship together. And if you're just joining us as just yourself or just your family, we're so thankful for that as well. So please continue to do that. It's been great to hear about that. We miss you and hope to see you soon. Uh, today, as we continue to worship, we go to God's Word. And we see two incredible stories, two incredible stories of uh, miracles of Jesus, one where he heals a woman of a chronic illness and another where he raises a, a young girl uh, who has died back to life. And it's possible to look at these two stories as isolated and individual stories, but the key to understanding these events, I believe, is to, to see them together, uh, to see how they relate to one another. 
We've already seen in our series uh, how Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God who forgives sin, who uh, commands uh, nature, who casts out demons, who heals sicknesses and disease. But Mark wants to show us something else about Jesus in this passage. We've seen his unmatched power, and today we see his unmatched compassion. It's not enough to know that Jesus is powerful. It's not enough to know that he can conquer sin and that he can uh, destroy whatever hardships and overcome whatever suffering is in our life. The question we often wrestle with is, is Jesus indifferent to our hardships? Does he care? And we see that he has tremendous compassion, not just power. Here's a simple definition of what compassion is. Compassion is to be consumed with concern for the suffering of others. Consumed, I mean, filled with empathy and and sympathy for the needs of others. And with a definition like that, we see this passage just flooded with compassion from Jesus. It's a passage where we see how Jesus deals with the, the hopeless struggler, the hopeless sufferer. And he deals with the hopeless sufferer with a great deal of, of tenderness and patience and, and compassion and, and kindness. And ultimately, he gives these hopeless characters far more than they, they ever asked for and far more they could ever hope for. Now, Mark showed us before how Jesus is powerful. Here he shows us how he's compassionate. And when the two come together, we see an amazing picture of Jesus as one who we can put our trust in for all things and in all times. And first, I want to recap this amazing story real quickly and then, and then look at how the combination of his power and his compassion uh, really have important application and implications uh, for our life. Well, first, just as a recap, let's look at this. It could be seen as, this story can be seen as somewhat of a a desperation sandwich. You have these two desperate situations, one story kind of sandwiching around another story in the middle. We first see this desperate struggle of this prominent leader within the faith community, within the synagogue. He comes pleading to Jesus to help uh, heal his daughter, who is very, very sick. News has already spread of Jesus' power and miracles and what he has done around the area. And so an an enormous crowd is gathering around Jesus, so much so that everyone is really pressed in on him as the crowd is moving forward and on all sides. And people are touching him and grabbing onto him and wanting to be close to him. And a leader named Jairus, he comes and he falls down at Jesus' knees, basically begging him to come quickly to his house uh, to heal his daughter, Jesus says, let's go. And so they go. And this large procession of people is interrupted by uh, Jesus sensing that healing has gone out from him and a miracle has happened without him even knowing. Someone has come up and touched him and, and and has been healed subsequently by that. A woman comes up, touches the edge of Jesus' cloak or the edge of his uh, garment and is healed of this chronic discharge of blood that she's had for 12 years. No doctor has been able to heal her. No remedy has been helpful. She's given all of her life savings uh, to help to make her feel better. And in fact, all that she has gone through has even made herself worse. 
And she's a desperate, desperate woman. Jesus stops in the midst of this procession to find this woman and to talk with her for a little while. Meanwhile, as they're all standing there, Jesus stands there talking with this woman. Some men from Jairus' house comes with the, the worst news possible. He says, your daughter has died. You've waited too long. It's too late. There's no more point of talking to Jesus because what's done is done and she's dead. This story confounds us. This story is so interesting because Jesus then says, don't worry, uh, don't be afraid, just believe. And he goes to the home there where he finds this daughter who has died. He takes her by the hand and tells her to, to get up and she rises from the dead and even has lunch afterwards. Jesus continues to confuse us with the things that he does. He challenges our ideas of what is normal, uh, what is common. You likely have questions about why God does the things that he does in your life, why he does the things in the world that he does, why he does anything. But this passage shows us that, that he is both, both powerful and compassionate. He is mighty, but also loving and tender. And because he is both powerful and compassionate, here are three implications, three, three conclusions from this passage that we can see today. First is Jesus is unhurried by our timeline. He is also unhindered by our weak faith. And finally, he's unashamed by our uncleanness. Let's go through these together this morning. First, Jesus is unhurried by our timeline. Consider this, God's actions in our life rarely operate according to our schedules. Isn't that true? He rarely operates and functions in a way in our life that just hit our timeline in the way that we want them to go as we desire them to go. And this story is a great example of that. Jesus' delay is not only confusing, it it actually seems very irresponsible for what is happening. It's very clear that that Jairus comes to Jesus with this urgent need. I mean, it's a matter of minutes before his daughter has died. She is in a great deal of, of distress, and there's no time to waste. But there's a little time that they have, and he's hopeful that if Jesus hurries to his home, that he could help his daughter. And Jesus is delayed, as we would understand it, by this woman who comes up to him with a chronic illness. Definitely not an emergency. It's definitely a desperate situation, but it's not an emergency. And Jairus and even the disciples have this urgency about getting Jesus to move along to get to the house. And Jesus seems unhurried. He's not in a hurry to get there. People and cultures everywhere have this relative view of, of what it means to be on time. And so there's, there's, there's really no uh, wonder why people have a different sense of timeliness. For some people, what it means to be on time is to be 15 minutes late or 30 minutes late. For other people, and you know who they are, maybe it's you, to be on time is to be 15 minutes early. You need to be the first one there or you're late. And Jesus' sense of timing will confuse us because he's unhurried by our sense of urgency, by our sense of of timeliness and what it means to do things in a timely manner. What we see as his delay, he sees as an outworking of his grace and his providence. Consider a child of yours 
or a loved one who has experienced this traumatic cardiac event. I mean, this, this emergency uh, situation where there's minutes to spare and, and a, an emergency medical attention needs to be given right away. You call 911 and, 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 and the ambulance is on the way. The slightest delay in the paramedics getting there to the home could mean the difference between life and death. And while the ambulance is rushing to your home, uh, the driver of the ambulance notices uh, a biker on the side of the road who's evidently injured, kind of nursing his own wounds. He's fallen and sprained his ankle, broken his leg or something like that. The driver stops, pulls to the side of the road, turns the siren off, checks the vitals of this injured biker, talks for a little while, bandages up his wounds, and then goes on his way. But by then, it's far too late. This is not only unthinkable, it's, it's irresponsible. It also could be even criminal. It's malpractice to do this as a medical professional to, give, to, to, to bypass an emergent care for a care that is more superficial. Imagine Jarius's anxiety now. In all of this, in all the disciples' irritation to see Jesus on this path of, of hurriedness to this home, to be distracted and to pause in the midst of all that. Jesus isn't hurried, and it's not because he's uncaring. It's not because he's irresponsible. We know this because after the, the worst nightmare becomes a reality for this daughter's dad, he says, it's not too late. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus is saying to Jairus and to all of us who have this timeline for God to act in a certain way in our life, he's saying, I love you even though you may not think so. I know what I'm doing. You can trust in me even though I don't act in a way that you expect. And if we try to impose our sense of timeliness to Jesus' activity in our life, we will always feel irritated by him. We will always lack a trust in his activity. We will always feel that his activity in our life is uncaring, irresponsible, and maybe even very irresponsible. I'm sorry, and, and even evil. By delaying his action, Jarius actually gets far more than he asked for. He had hoped above all things that Jesus would come and, and take the fever away and help his daughter gain strength. He wanted to witness a healing, but instead he witnessed a resurrection. He had hoped that Jesus had the power over sickness, but he got far more than he expected. He now sees that Jesus has the power over death. It would seem that Jesus was delaying for no good reason at all, but Jairus and the disciples didn't have all the facts. They didn't have all the information, but Jesus did. He knew what he was doing. And we don't have all the information either. Right now, God may be delaying his good activity in your life for a reason beyond our own understanding. We don't know why he's doing what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know why it's happening in a way that is delaying our comfort. But we also have to realize we don't have all the information. 
We don't have the facts. We don't know how it'll all work out. God may be delaying something in our life and he's asking us to not be afraid, but to rather trust in him, to believe in him. To believe in him as the one who commands the storm and calms the winds in our life. The one who casts out demons and heals sickness and disease. The one who raises the dead from the grave and into life. The one who brings restoration and wholeness to our weary and discouraged hearts. We are not God, but sometimes we think that we can, that we can operate like God. Meaning we believe that we can accomplish the things in our life that we need to accomplish by simply doing the right things in all the right ways and we grow very frustrated and angry and impatient when we realize that we can't control everything. We become frustrated when we realize the limitations of our own humanity. We must believe that there's information that we just don't have access to And if we did have access to the mind of God and the timeliness of God, we would be as unhurried as Jesus is in this situation. We would be as patient as he is in this situation where he could just say, don't be afraid. I know it appears that to you that your worst nightmare has come true, but but just believe. Trust in me as the one who holds all things in his hands and in his care. Trust in me as the one who holds your very life in my care. Another conclusion of Jesus' power and compassion is that not only is he unhurried, but he is also unhindered by our weak faith. We turn now to the the woman with the chronic and humiliating hemorrhaging of blood. This really is a picture of of a suffering and desperate and humiliated woman. She's exhausted all of her money. She is now in poverty. She's tried every medical treatment, and it's only made her worse. She's gained nothing. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what was in her mind as she attempted to touch Jesus. In a sense, her actions were very commendable, weren't they? We, we, when hope and all human remedies had failed her, she turned to Jesus. And that's commendable. It's, we affirm that, that whenever, our, whenever we see that everything else fails us, we, we go to Jesus. But in another sense, her actions were, were not very admirable, as they were likely based on, on superstition. One of the widespread beliefs of the time was that, that if you got close to a great person, if you got gr- close to a, a spiritual healer, or a prominent person in that community, if you just got close to them or possibly touched them, that some of their greatness would rub off on you. That if you touched a piece of their clothing that was maybe blessed by their teaching, that would, that's all that you would need, that's all that it would take, that there was power in those elements, there was power in those items. People even believe that sort of thing today. Spiritual healers on TV will, will t- tell the viewers to, to send in a, a, a piece of garment or a handkerchief, and they will pray over that cloth and they'll send it back to you for a, for a fee and that, that item, that handkerchief, that clothing will, will have power in it. And if we just believe in the power in these things, then we will, we will have comfort, prosperity, and healing in our life. TV preachers will, will, will pray over uh, items of, of prayer cloth and you could call in and, 
and buy a piece of that item and it will bring prosperity and healing to your life. In a moment of personal desperation as a young boy, I can't remember how old I was, but I was, it was late at night and I was watching one of those infomercials late at night on a, a Christian broadcasting and I was in a desperate moment and I was afraid and very sad and they were advertising this water, this holy water that was blessed by spiritual leaders and if you called in and made a donation to the ministry, they would send you this vial of water and if you trusted in its ability to heal, then it would give you healing. There simply is no biblical support for this kind of practice. There's no biblical support for such ideas. But whatever is motivating this woman, the moment she touched Jesus, she was healed. She knew it and Jesus knew it. She knew that she was healed in that moment and the blood was said to have dried up instantly. And after hearing her side of the story as Jesus went and found her and heard her side of the story, what does he say? He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't correct her. He's gentle with her. He calls her daughter. The only time in the New Testament or anywhere where Jesus calls a grown woman daughter. And then he says, your, your faith has made you well. This is amazing. Her, her faith, as, as superstitious as it may have been, it was imperfect, it was uninformed, it may have even been presumptuous and even superstitious, but it was, it was real. And Christ honored her imperfect faith. He wasn't hindered by it. He didn't require a certain level of perfection in her, her understanding of who he was or what he was capable of doing. She brought her weak faith and uninformed faith, but she, she clung tightly to it and tightly in her belief that he, he could help her. And God still treats people in this same way today. See, beginning faith is often uninformed. Who of us, when we first came to a trust in Jesus, knew of him with a mature faith? Who of us even now, after many years of following Jesus, could say that we have a, an informed and biblical and strong faith. Our faith is often mixed with many errors. We can take courage in this story that one does not need to possess a faith that is perfect in, after, in, 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 in a order to have a faith that, that saves us and rescues us. That's why children can come to Christ and be saved. That's why adults later in life having lived a life of rebellion their entire life, or even on their deathbed, cry out for God's rescue and receive His grace and mercy. This story is so encouraging for us. The fact that we can come to Christ with a weak faith, it doesn't minimize the importance of a deep understanding of the things of God or even a growing in a deep and thoughtful biblical faith but rather it does teach us that something's very important to grasp about how salvation works and what re God requires of us in order for us to be made right with him. This teaches us about faith. God does not tell us that we are right with him because of the certain measure or quality of our faith or our record or our character. 
Faith is the tool, it is the instrument by which we take hold of Christ. It is the compassion of Christ, it's the power of Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that holds us and takes hold of us. And our faith is like the, the instrument that grabs on to him. It is the tool. It's like that, the gopher tool. The gopher tool that has that attachment on the end that you, you squeeze onto it and it grabs onto things and items. You'll never get that image out of your, your mind now. But that's how I think of it. It's this, it's this instrument that we reach out and we grab on to Christ. Our faith is the tool that grabs on to him and he saves us. And that faith, it doesn't have to be mighty. That faith doesn't have to be polished and perfect. Only Christ has to be mighty. Only Christ has to be perfect and righteous. Our faith can be filled with error. It could be messed up, but it needs to lean forward to Christ and reach on to him. That's what this woman does. And it's such good news. It means that the kind of faith that, that pleases God is not a kind of faith that belongs to the spiritual elite only, but the faith that holds on to Jesus by any means. That's what this woman does. And that's why she is healed. Because Jesus sees this faith that holds on to him. But finally, let's consider how Jesus is unashamed by our uncleanness. You know, I mentioned that the key to understanding these events is to see how these two events relate to one another. And what they share in common, most obviously, is their hopeless and desperate state that both of these, these people are in. And it wasn't just their sickness or death in the example of the young girl. It was their uncleanness. You see, because God was so holy and perfect and righteous and worthy of, of honor, there were strenuous boundaries in place within the law of God that, 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 that were placed for God's people that they had to abide by in order to approach him in a worthy manner. And two of the most stringent things that would prohibit a person from approaching God in a worthy manner would be could you guess what the two things were? It would be a bodily discharge of blood and coming in contact with a dead body. This is amazing what's, what we see here. We cannot miss this critical detail in the story. Both stories bring Jesus face to face with uncleanness. Face to face with the things that separate people from relationship with God, from pr the presence of God and the peace of, of Him. Both stories bring Jesus face to face with the very things that separate us from God. And He would be, he would be ceremonially, ritually unclean and defiled by touching the woman or even being touched by the woman who had this discharge of blood and taking the hand of this girl who had died. Don't you see this? The only way to be ceremonially clean, ceremonially clean is to go through a process of purification. But here's the problem. This, Mark is clear to, to show us this story that in both of these situations, 
neither of these girls or women could do anything to clean themselves. The woman has clearly exhausted all human remedies and she's been unclean for 12 years. And the girl, well, she's dead. There's nothing that she could do to become clean. So what does Jesus do? He says, I'll take your uncleanness on myself. I'll take your impurities and I will make you clean. And he does it without hesitation. Without shame, he goes to them. He calls the woman daughter. Do you hear the tenderness in that? A woman who's been ostracized and cast out and, 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 and left to be by herself because of her, her uncleanness, of her humiliation, of her sickness. Jesus calls her one of his own. He calls the girl Little lamb, literally in Aramaic. It's like a parent that sits on the edge of a bed watching their daughter sleep and stroking her hair and saying, Honey, it's time to wake up. It is with that tenderness and with that gentleness that Jesus comes to these people in this desperate and hopeless state and says to them, I know that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to better your situation. But I am here and I will take your uncleanness and I will make you whole. I will take on myself your disease and I will give you life. Jesus isn't ashamed of their uncleanness. He's not ashamed of our sin. He takes our sin on himself. According to Jesus, our natural state of, of every person who has ever lived is like the, women, the woman and this little girl in this story. We are all unfit for the presence of God. We are all victims of a, the desperate circumstances who have no hope apart from Jesus. We have a problem with the biblical idea that we're all unfit for God and only Jesus has the power or remedy to make us clean for many in this world, either believe that, one, we're not unfit for God, that we're genuinely just good, basically good people. We make mistakes, but God doesn't hate us. Or we believe that we're unfit for God because of the sins that we did, but we can, we can get better through our moral perfection. We can get better just by being better people through character improvement, by doing good things. But we can only become clean if Jesus takes our own filth in our heart and he robes us with the cleanness of his righteousness. That's what he does on the cross, isn't it? He who knew no sin became our sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus was treated as one who was far from God. He cried out to his father and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why did his father forsake Jesus on the cross? Because he was robed in our disease. He was robed in all that defile us. He was robed in our uncleanness, our sin, our blemishes, our disease and sickness. And God turned his back on his son so that we, as we grasp out 
to Jesus in faith, we would be clothed with righteousness. Sins that were red as scarlet would become white as snow. Isn't it something that Jesus would use his power not to elevate the elite in the world, but the most vulnerable? Isn't it something that Jesus, a great leader, the Savior, creator of the world, the one who had, the, that had all authority at his disposal and all power at his disposal, that he would have compassion on the most vulnerable at that time, which would have been women, especially uh, husbandless women, and children in that society. And who does Jesus go to with such compassion and tenderness? This woman who has been cast out of society, who's maybe even left by her husband because of this uncleanness, and this girl who has died. Children that were not considered to be a welcomed part of those who sat at the teacher's feet. That often even the disciples were uncomfortable when children came to be with Jesus and hear him teach. And Jesus said, do not keep the children from me. This is at the heart of the gospel. We must see ourselves not only as the most vulnerable, but dead in sin and desperate for rescue. And Jesus delights in taking our sin. He delights in taking our place. He loses power to give us strength. He takes death to give us life. His blood is shed so that our spiritual wounds would dry up. Are you trying to hurry Jesus to fit into your plans? Are you lacking in faith? Do you feel shame as a result of your past or even present choices and your character. See yourself in this story. And let Jesus, the powerful and compassionate rescuer, take you by the hand and raise you up to new life. Let him do what he wants to do With you. He knows what he is doing and he loves you completely.